Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, host of the RouterFlex podcast and founder and CEO of our day job recruiting firm, RouterFlex. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast for updates and news. Finally, if you haven't already, check out the series of books we've published on hiring, interviewing, and overall career advice titled The RouterFlex Guide, available on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Most homeowners don't have the time or expertise to properly take care of their home, which causes costly issues to arise. That's where Cura Home Maintenance comes in. We're a full-service, routine maintenance company that was developed by a certified home inspector. Each quarter, we service our clients' homes following manufacturer's recommendations to properly maintain all the necessary appliances. We provide the materials and expertise to prolong the life of your property, creating a healthy and efficient environment for your family. From top to bottom, we'll maintain and service your home. To get started, we have a property inspection to determine what needs to be maintained, and a maintenance plan is created based on your preferences. From refrigerator coils to filters, vents, and drains, we do it all, and we do it well. Contact us today for your free routine maintenance inspection and never worry about your maintenance again. Kristen Carney on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, Kristen. How are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Are you in Austin today? I am. I'm in Austin, Texas. All right. Is that where you're from? Texas? I am from Texas. In fact, I grew up in East Texas in the Piney Woods of East Texas in a little town called Nacogdoches. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Um, how long have you been in Austin? Because I got a couple of questions about that. Yeah, I've been in Austin, I think, 17 years now. Oh. Did that come through? 17. I've been in Austin 17 years. 17 years. Mm -hmm. um, you've seen a lot of changes, uh, right? It's... Uh... Yes. <laughs> little more crowded than it was 17 years ago yes a lot more traffic that's for sure how are they doing with the highways and the roads have they kept up or is it a nightmare well i work from home so i don't have to get out into that mess i used to live uh northwest of austin okay like marble falls area do you know oh. any of that area yeah that's gorgeous that's a beautiful area yeah, really nice. I'm sure it's a little more populated than it was back when I was there. I, I was there like between uh, 95 and 2000. So okay. uh, I'm guessing it's different. Yes. Now. Uh, right with, you know, there's a couple of little towns out there and they were just little country bumpkin towns. But yeah, I'm guessing different. Uh, so tell me about your uh, family, uh, Kristen. Tell me about mom, dad, siblings. Give me some background there. Yeah, so um, I grew up with my mom and my dad, and I have one younger brother who's my Irish twin. He's uh, okay. a year younger than me, um, and we grew up in the country in East Texas, and uh, my mom was a math teacher. Uh, oh. My dad was a roofer until he decided to go back to school and become a science teacher and a coach. Um, yeah. Really? Wow. Okay. So did you have them in school as you were coming up? Did Were they your teachers? 
Uh, no, no, they, they were at the same school. So my mom taught at the middle school that I went to and my dad taught at the high school that I went to, but I never had them as my teachers. So. Did, did they do that on purpose? Um, that's just the way it worked out. I'm, I don't think it was on purpose. Both of them were, they were pretty large schools. So. Uh, okay. And are they still around, still with you, still in East Texas? Where are they now? Uh, they're here in Austin. Yeah, they're here in Austin. So. And still, and still married? Still married. Yes. How about that? Very good. Okay. Awesome. Uh, what kind of coach was he? What sports? Uh, he coached basketball and football and he was my basketball coach for just, many years. Just about to ask you if he was your coach. Yeah. Okay. So did you play basketball all the way through high school then? I played the first two years of high school. The My last two years of high school, I went to a school called the Texas Academy of Leadership and Humanities, which is part of Lamar University in Beaumont. So oh. I had to give up all the sports that I played but in exchange, I got to do my last two years of high school at the same time I did my first two years of college. Um, so, yeah, it was a great experience. Wow. Why did your parents choose to do that? Were they is it because they were in the public system and they're like, yeah, we don't want you to finish here. Why, why was, <laughs> what was the strategy there? No, it was really my choice um, to do that. I I like the idea of getting a head start on college and I've always been debt averse, even as a kid. Um, so I like the idea of having two years of, of college under my belt when I graduated from high school. So interesting. Um, amazing like programs here in Austin. So my kiddos could go to Austin ISD and get those kinds of, and have those kinds of programs. But at the time I had to go to a different night to leave where we were living at the time and go to, um, a new city to do that. I see. And then why'd you decide to graduate from Trinity in San Antonio? Why, why that specific school? Yeah, well, they offered me an amazing uh, financial aid package. It was cheaper for me to go to a private school to go to Trinity than it was for me to go to say University of Texas or Texas A&M. Um, also, Trinity is a lot smaller school than, you know, those big state schools that we have in Texas. Mm. And I thought that would be a better fit. But but yeah, really, it was the the financial aid package. <laughs> okay. So were you, it sounds like you were a straight arrow all the way through school, like straight A's, never in trouble. And is there anything exciting in there? Anything you, any rebel moments you want to confess about right now so your kids can hear this later? <laughs> you know, I don't think rebel is a great um, word to describe me, but I would want to talk about um, a couple of things that I was passionate about, because I think you'll hear those same themes, like, in the as I talk about Cuban and building our business and number one I always played sports right. um and that like being in competitive sports as a woman if you're in a leadership position I just think there's so many amazing things that competitive sports do for Agreed. for anyone no matter your gender but also as a woman specifically and then I always had my nose in a book and I still do that today um so as a kid I was always reading books and then the books I liked to read as a kid, if I was looking back at it, they were always about kids leaving home and make, living in the woods on their own and making it, you know, books like um, My Side of the Mountain or The Black Stallion or Julia the Wolf. So there's this definitely this element of needing to go kill something on your own and create, <laughs> you know, your own thing um, that was attractive even when I was a child. Interesting. So maybe that's where the entrepreneurial bug came from, huh? Because your parents were not entrepreneurs, correct? I mean, correct. I mean, so you didn't get that bug from them. You got it from reading, probably. I know. My dad was, um, so the roofing company my dad worked for was owned by his grandfather. So there was like okay. entrepreneurial um, <laughs> okay. folks in the family, but it just wasn't my, that wasn't my family. 
Okay, great. You mentioned you had kids. Tell me about your current family. Uh, are, are you married? And how? tell me how many kids you got. How old are they? Yes, I am married. I have um, an eight-year-old daughter. Um, and uh, my youngest just turned six. So I feel like I'm just out of like the little kid stage. And I'm trying to figure out how to be a mom of a little bit older kids and really enjoying that. Oh, you're in the, are you kidding me? You're in the golden years right now. Like after- right? after diapers and before puberty exactly is I'm, I'm loving it like, it's the magic time right there i mean right? you know enjoy it while it lasts <laughs> what do you my kids are never going to go through puberty that's never gonna happen <laughs> yeah. like squishing them down every day i try to squish them to keep them this height but it's not working <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah 13 to to 19 can, can be can, can be challenging at times <laughs> maybe maybe it wasn't for your parents it sounds like you uh never never uh snuck out of the house and climbed out your window from from what I <laughs> how about your brother was he straight in straight arrow too or was he a little more uh, uh rebellious yeah he had to fill the, the rebel role of the family that was definitely that was definitely his role to fulfill <laughs> what's he do now he has a, an amazing job. He is the fitness director of a giant, like a cruise ship for people who are ultra wealthy. Interesting. I bet he meets yeah. a lot of fascinating individuals. Yeah, they sail all around the world uh, constantly. And the, the folks, they like, like helicopter into the ship. And then like right now they're going to Antarctica and they're going to be in Antarctica for a little bit. And then, but yeah, basically he wow. cruises the world and make sure folks are, are in shape. Well, cool. Okay, I'm I'm guessing he's not married then, because that'd be tough to be, no. have a family. Be no, tough to have a fa Yes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be the job for the with a family. I wouldn't think. Yeah, probably not. No. <laughs> uh. Okay. Cool. When you were finishing up at Trinity, did mm -hmm. you know what you wanted to do? Did you have an idea? What was your plan? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of planning. What I knew is my mom taught math and my dad taught science, so therefore I had to go study English. Um, so I was an English major. Um, and then I was, I wanted to get married to my college boyfriend at the time. And so I was 20 when I graduated. And so I had to go get a job if I wanted to get married. So it was in 2002 when I grew and that was during a um, kind of a soft market for jobs. It was yep. post 9-11, post mm -hmm. like a dot-com bust. Yep. So I was applying to whatever job would take an English major um, who had no like professional experience. Well, I'd always worked jobs during school, right? They were yeah. you know, yeah. waiting tables and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to be hired as uh, basically an uh, executive assistant to a PhD economist um, at a firm called Cavusian Associates. And cool. I worked there for four years. And that was my first taste into working with data um, and uh -huh. writing, starting to write some code. Um, there. That's what I really enjoyed, even though I was hired to be more of an assistant. Very quickly, I got into um, actually uh, working with data and writing code to, to automate some of the data work. That uh, we were doing. I see. Interesting. Would you call yourself a developer now these days? No, I'm definitely not a developer. I am a researcher turned marketer. So <laughs> <laughs> used to be a researcher. Now I spend most of my days marketing. So <laughs> Okay. You went through a few jobs there as you as your career progressed. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have to we don't have to make the stop on each one, but kind of walk me through how did you eventually get to the point where you said, "Okay, I want to I want to 
do something on my own? Like, how did that transition? Yeah. Yeah. So to hit the highlights, I, I, I did the economic analysis for a while. And then I said, no, I'm going to go get my PhD in English. Okay. And so I applied and I got a full ride to there. And then when I was interviewing, one of the professors was saying the thing that he was most excited about was writing a, a book on the history of what the word is, is, because this was during like the Bill Clinton administration. And I remember he was like, well, it depends on what the definition of the word is, is. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, wow, I really don't want to spend my life doing that. So I know that's not. It. And so then I decided I should go into environmental engineering because there's this, there's this job in environmental engineering that has to do with economics. So if you're going to build a roadway, right, you have to look at the economies and the people that the roadway are going to displace. Okay. So, okay, well, I can do that. You're right. I have the, the experience doing economics. So I taught myself into a job doing socioeconomic analysis. All right, now we're getting to the entrepreneurial side. Okay. So every time an engineer shifts a roadway, a proposed roadway they're going to build, the socioeconomist on the team has to go pull data about who's going to be displaced. Um, there are some environmental laws, right, that protect our population so that All we're right. not negatively impacting certain groups of people more than other groups of people. Okay. Right. So what happens is the engineer says, okay, I'm going to build the roadway here. And then something happens and they can't build the roadway here. So then they move it a little bit. And then the, whoever's on that team has to go pull more data and crunch more analysis. And so as they're shifting this roadway, you're constantly sucking down this data and doing the analysis. And that seemed like a giant waste of time to me. There needs to be a tool that you let you draw a line on a map. Now, this was, what is this, back in 2007? Okay. Um, this was before we had a lot of like mapping in the cloud, Cardo, Esri yeah. software, not like technology piece, right so there should be a way that you just change the line shifts and then all the data and the numbers are sucked down and crunched for you okay. so i was complaining about my job to um my boyfriend at the time and he uh said well he was a uh, an interaction designer for dun bradstreet company called hoovers and he was like well i can build you that in my free time I said, great let's do that so he started working on that prototype and we said, well, if we can automate this tiny portion of the environmental analysis, we could automate. There's no reason why we couldn't automate lots of other parts of the environmental engineering process. Okay. So at that point, we said, okay, well, we have, we think we have a really good idea for a company. And I quit my job in the private sector and I switched over to a government job because I was like, okay, well, then I will have plenty of time and brain space to work on this idea. But at the same time that I quit my job, we also applied to an incubator here in Austin called Capital Factory. Good idea. And at the time, you got $20,000 in cash, $20,000 in free services, and 20 mentors. The most amazing thing was 20 mentors to help you build your business. But in exchange for it, you had to quit your job for a summer and actually build you, like launch your business. And it culminated. And and give a piece of equity to them. Absolutely. Yeah, it was like, um, I believe it was 5%. Okay. They got 5% of equity in the company All right. All right. for that. Um, so we, um, it was the very first year Capital Factory was interviewing. I like to say they didn't know what they were doing. So they selected us as one of the five companies to <laughs> invest in. <laughs> and uh yeah, so it was an amazing program. We spent the entire summer building the technology out and we spent, we blew through our $20,000, right? We had a, a minimum viable product 
and I made a thousand cold calls to environmental engineering firms all over the country, and I didn't sell anything. Um, <laughs> and so, by the way, and by the way, for the listeners, how were you? How were you guys paying the bills at that time? Did had you were you working off your savings? Were you? You know, I get that because we get this. This is one of the most common questions from aspiring entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, that sounds great. But how are you how are you living? How are you paying the mortgage yeah. and eating at the time? How are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So we were we were living off of savings at the time. So it okay. was my boyfriend is, is my, my co-founder. I have since married him and he's still um, my business partner today. Okay. Um, so it was the two of us. Yeah. And. Um, we had gotten the $20,000 from Capital okay. Factory, but it all went into the development of the product. And did so, you have yeah. kids at that time? We did not have kids at that time. Okay. So. Sure. All right. Yeah, yeah, that helps. That helped. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really does. However, we had just bought a house like six months before we did all that. So that mm. was not a good plan. But... <laughs> all right. All right. So you're do a thousand calls and right about the time you're thinking, oh, shit, I don't know if anybody's right. going <laughs> to. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't, we, we were so focused on the technology, so interested in the technology, we forgot to evaluate the market risk. And at the end of the day, we were automating something that these engineering firms could charge money for, right? They could, every time they had to redo that analysis piece, they could charge their clients, the the state transportation Mm -hmm. agency or whoever it was, they could charge hundreds of, if not thousands of dollars. So you you were actually their enemy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that, okay, so that group was not interested in this tool that we built for them, but we noticed that small businesses kept signing up to use our environmental engineering tool. Okay, Um, here comes the first, here comes the first pivot. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so we spend a year, so the summer of, that was the summer of 2009 that we were in Capital Factory. We spend a year trying to figure out how to make money and was, it was absolutely, there was, nothing but failure right so then at that point um my my partner goes and he gets a contract he takes a contract position so because yeah, you're because you're, you're needing to pay the bills you're, your money's getting tighter at this point we're out yeah we're yeah. out so he goes and does that and then i'm working during the day i'm then i'm working on the business and he has a contract gig. okay okay so we do we do that and then a year goes by and he's really tired of doing the contract gig so we swap and i go out and i get a job <laughs> okay and then he's working on the business all right um, so by the time 2012 rolls around we make enough money that we can both stop working for other people cool. and all right well, that's a major so, t- that's a major turning point there's there's a major milestone in your in your company where you can both not have to work for somebody else exactly and and i have like <laughs> all of your attention on this you know one thing uh I did, and speaking of one thing, like we were doing so terribly in there as we were just floundering and trying to figure out how to make money. We actually started another business because oh. like if you're drilling at one business, you should just start another one and that makes it all better. But eventually we closed the other business down. Mm. It was it was a really cool business. It was, um, we modified an autograph machine. You know how like baseball players create autograph machines and they like autograph the baseball. So the baseball player's not sitting there and like signing oh. the call over yeah. and over again. It's a robot. It's a robot that holds a pen and signs it. Well, anyways, we tweaked this um, autograph robot so that it would write handwrite thank you notes. So, for example, we were sending, you know, our clients handwritten thank you notes and we didn't want to do that. So we tweaked that. We're like, well, if if we think it's a good idea, other people think it's a good idea. Yeah, but we were failing at running two businesses now instead of failing at running one business. So we decided, okay, let's. Was there ever... (laughs) Did your dad ever call during any of this time and say, "Hey, why don't you just go be a teacher and get a safe job and stop messing around with all, with all this?" Or, or what was it? What were your parents saying at the time? 
remember my parents having much of an opinion. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just curious because they were, you know, because they had the, well, I don't want to use the word safe, but they had the, you know, the the regular jobs or whatever. Mm. And you're you're this entrepreneur. You're doing something totally wild, which is way out of their space. I was just wondering if they ever were like, "Hey, what what are you what are you doing? What are you doing, Kristen?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, no challenges there from them. Okay, good. No, no. Good, good. All right, but uh, sounds like during this time there was many. I'm sure there were many nights where. Uh, what's your husband's name? His name's Anthony. Anthony. I'm sure there's yeah. many nights where you, you and Anthony are like, "What the hell? What what? Let's just okay. Let's just go get." Let's just go get regular jobs and just stop all this. There had to be many of those conversations, I'm sure. Oh, man, there weren't. There weren't. And you know why? Is because I'm built to do this. <laughs> okay. I'm not built to do other things. So we were going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. Okay. All we right. were okay. I was okay with it taking a long time. So that I feel like that's another like common theme is mm. we're in this thing like a marathon. It was okay. not a sprint. Okay. Right? So a lot of the decisions we made, <clears throat> we were okay with the longer time frame. If that meant we were going to build a business where eventually the goal is to decouple time and money so we can make money without actively being working on the business. And that's, that's harder to do. We couldn't build a consulting company, right? Mm. <clears throat> and time and money would have been, you know, coupled together, but that wasn't mm. our goal. Our goal was to build something where time and money were decoupled. Mm. Now is probably a good time to give the listeners a quick elevator uh, pitch uh, okay. as the company is today. So um, just for the listeners, uh, Qubit, C-U-B-I-T, just like it mm -hmm. sounds, uh, and the website is qubitplanning.com, correct? Is that right? Uh, correct. Okay. Yes. Give us the, give us the elevator pitch for the, for the listeners so they know what's going on here. Sure. We are a data company and we help small business owners get mostly demographic data for sales and marketing. A normal, a very common use case would be a small business owner wants to optimize their Google ad campaigns. They want to okay. target a specific demographic. We're going to help them figure out what zip codes um, they should target with their Google ad spend, right? And the technical side, the way we do that is we work with large government data sets. Think the Census Bureau or Bureau of... Um, economic data, Bureau of Labor Statistics, right? Those kinds of data sets. And we clean them up, break them down, pull out the pieces that are interesting to business owners um, and provide them the data that's ready for, for our clients to analyze in-house. Okay, very good. Um, thank you for that. And how big is the company now? Is Are you just running it with you and your husband? Do you have a bunch of employees? Or are you, t tell us where you're at in the in the you know, yeah. in the life cycle of the company. And by the way, by the way, can you hear that? Can you hear typing in the background? Can you hear any of that? I can't. No, I don't hear any typing. Okay. I just want to make sure that, that I don't want to annoy the listeners with that. If, if they're, if, uh, if it's coming through the speakers, but it sounds like we're okay. Um, where are you at in the life cycle of the business now as far as size? And, and I don't know how much you want to share people, revenue, whatever you want to share, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Yes. Yeah, so uh, my, my husband and I are still the co-founders and we have two full-time contractors. Um, one of our contractors has been with me for 10, at least 10 years now. Wow. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. And then um, we have another, another full-time person. And then we use a number of contractors for different projects that might come up. So yeah. really the contractor model is a good fit for us um, to keep us pretty flexible. Okay. Very good. And it's uh 
I'm assuming cash flow positive at this point. You're not burning cash. You're making enough money to sustain you and your husband without having to work anywhere else, obviously. Yes. Have yes. you raised capital? Have you ever taken on any cash? Are you planning on taking on any cash? What's the status on all that? Yeah, no. We've After Capital Factory, it never made sense to raise capital because we weren't going to be a rocket ship company, right? We decided the bootstrap model was a better fit for us. So um, yeah, that's how what we've done it. And we've been, because data, there's amazing economies of scale and data, right? We do the work once and then we sell it multiple times. Um, yeah, we've, we've had a cash flow positive business for a long time now. Good. Um, good for you. Congra congratulations. And you've never had to give up control or take on a bunch of cash. Good for you. Exactly. So you, you've never taken angel money, family money, seed money, nothing. No, no, wow. we've, we've we, other than the $20,000, which we promptly wasted because we had no idea what we were doing. We haven't taken on any other money. And we try to keep the company making about 30% of our revenue comes from consulting. And I love consulting because that's the thing that helps us build our products. Uh -huh. So I don't want to build a consulting company, but I still want to do those consulting projects because that's what really helps me understand the problems that our customers are trying to solve. And then when we see that same problem come through a couple of times, then we build a product around that. And it's just, it's such a nice mix um, of, okay. you know, still talking with customers and doing customer development as part of sales, but then also building, um, yeah, data products as well. Have you purposely kept it small? And I guess what I mean by that is, could you have gotten gone bigger? Have you turned away projects or turned away potential revenue because you either didn't have the people or you just didn't want to tackle that and you wanted to keep it small? Talk to me about the strategy there. Yeah, that's a really, that's a good question. I, and thinking back, like looking at it now, we could have built a technology company, right? Like we were doing some really cool things with maps before that was hot. Like now I feel like there's like a lot of plug and play mapping kind of analysis technologies. But uh -huh. back when we were building that, that wasn't that, that wasn't available. And so we could have built like a technology, like more of a software company. Mm. Um, but we didn't. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure that that was necessarily strategic or if it was more like, okay, we we're in love with this idea of building this pro with building products. Um so I might need to do okay. more. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and then how about the future? Do you want to, is this just a, Hey, this is a great lifestyle business. It's a great family business. You're good to go. Or have you ever thought about, man, we, we could blow this up and scale it and try to sell it. Do you ever have these conversations and, and what, what do you guys talk about now? Yeah. So the idea of blowing it up and scaling it isn't as attractive to me at this point, because I, you know, I've got kids that I, that I love to spend time with. So yeah. I love the work-life balance that my life has now, right? Like that's the uh, that's the benefit of building of the business that we have is that um, I can take off to like we just came back from Big Ben, right, with the kids. Um, yeah, I wonder as the kids get older if that won't be more attractive, right? Agreed. Um, yeah, you know, and it's by the way having a lifestyle business that supports your family that gives you time to do these things. And, you know, if you want to go to your kid's soccer game at three P at 3 PM, um, you know, you can. Yeah. Kristen, uh, I've had so many conversations with my co-founder and my wife about the freedom, flexibility right, uh, of being 
uh, a company, uh, an owner of a small company, small business owner, right? Yes. Um, man, if I if I live in Colorado and uh, if I want to go to the mountains in in my Jeep on a Friday afternoon at at, at one o'clock, I, I don't have to ask anybody. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, um, you know, you probably could do this too, right? Like we both could probably go out in the market and get regular jobs and probably make more than whatever income we're pulling in from our small businesses, probably. Yeah. But, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. And then there's so many other things to do with life, right? Like I want to be able to go, like I still play soccer and I want to be able to go work out so that I can go play soccer, right? I, I want to optimize all those other areas of my life. Um, yes, I couldn't agree more. And and it, like I'm like we said, it's very difficult to put a a number on what is what that's worth. Uh, yeah. And working remotely, which which we do, and which you guys do. Yeah. I mean, by the way, for the listeners, I'm recording this on December fifth, and the reason I don't have my fancy background is because we're in our traveling holiday RV, seeing family. Yeah amazing and we're able to work and see family and travel and and uh to be able to work remotely like that yeah i just can't even people ask me like well, what's the value on it i'm like man i don't even know it's too, it's too i don't even know really right. uh, <laughs> yeah. uh i sometimes i'll answer it this way because i used to be a coo i was an operations executive for a long time before i started writer flex and uh sometimes i answer it this way i'll say something like look let me answer the question this way if you called me and said, hey, we want to make you the chief operating officer for a company in Detroit and you need to close down RiderFlex and you guys need to move to Detroit I, for, for 300 grand a year, 400 grand a year, I'd be like, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, so I get it. Yeah. Um, and then the final thing on that, the final comment there is you're right as the kids get older once you become empty nesters mm -hmm. maybe you know maybe uh there's a way to um scale it but maybe not maybe just keep it as a lifestyle business right exactly exactly yeah. but the thing is it especially so we had kids i had my daughter in 2015 and running this business was amazing because we we kept her at home until she was 18 months old so like being able to be there with her and we would just my husband and I would just trade off who has the kid and who's working on the business right and we were able to do that until she just started to go to we found an amazing like part-time uh preschool that she went to and then we could do the same thing with my son like that's I'll, I'll never get that time back right like, exactly so exactly. yeah, yeah. You'll never, yep you'll never get that back yeah so it's great I'm, I'm it's so awesome that you're able to do that um so let me ask you now, as we got uh, a little time left here, I want to ask you about the future as it relates to your company and the advancement of AI and technology uh, in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've thought about it. I'm sure, yes. you're, sure you're thinking about it on a daily basis. I know I do. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Because uh, we're recording this December 12th. Fifth, like I said, 2023, and, uh, you know, the uh, the advancement of AI and things like ChatGPT and many, many other things are are rapidly uh, transforming society. 
<laughs> and uh, so what happens? I mean, are, do you worry that I'm sure you worry? I don't know. Maybe you don't worry, but do you, do you worry like, wow, okay, I don't know. Uh, maybe ChatGPT can do all this stuff for somebody someday. And then, then what do we do? I mean, talk to me about that. Talk to me about what you're thinking about, what you yeah. guys talk about, what you worry about. Absolutely. So AI in the data world, um, yeah, it's, it's going to change our world. Um, in 10 years, there will be no way that we still make money the way we make money today. That there's That's not going to happen. But I'm not losing any sleep at, like, at night over that because we didn't so much build a company with with products and services, right? As we have built a set of skills, right? The skills are interviewing the customers, running exper experiments on what products people are going to like. Um, we have a, a lot of knowledge around what data are out there. And if anything, the world of data is just getting bigger and faster and more complicated as more data are being collected. Mm. So I feel like the nature of small business is the thing you were doing that's making money is always changing. And AI has just made that happen faster. So um, like, for example, I have 10 new business ideas, new products, new services, that kind of thing that are ready to go for January. And in January, we're going to start running small experiments to see which of these new things um, are the things that we should start pursuing, right? It, again, our marathon kind of uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. Nine of those ideas are probably terrible and one could be amazing, right? So we can still do everything that we do today and keep doing that better and faster and more efficient, but we do need to be looking forward to, to the future and what is the thing that's going to play nice with AI and the, the AI world that's coming. Okay, now that is so refreshing to hear. I think that's a wonderful answer, better than I get most of the time on that question. <laughs> uh, you know, there are, unfortunately, there. I, I think... At least this is what I see because I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of business yeah. owners. I think there's a lot of people kind of with their head in the sand a little bit. They're kind of like not they're they're not fully mm. paying attention, fully paying attention to what's going on. You know, I'll talk to business owners and I'll be like, "Hey, you uh, you, you are using ChatGPT, right?" Oh yeah, I heard about that, but I haven't really tried it yet. I'm like, "Okay, bro, you better." You better start paying attention, <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, they own like a marketing agency and they don't even, they've never like used Dolly to create a photo or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a lot, I, I feel like there's a lot of people not quite understanding the seismic shift and, and oh. transformation that, that's going on. And, uh, and, and I think those business owners are going to be left behind because they're not going to do all the things you just said. They're not going to pivot. They're not going to change. They're not going to come up with new ideas. They're not going to use the AI to do better and bigger things and move faster, which is everything you just said. You, you basically said, yes, I'm watching it. Yes, I'm staying on top of it. And I'm going to use it all to either pivot and change and add new ideas to my company, basically, is what you said, which, I, which is the exact right thing to do. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, there's never been a tool that I've adopted more quickly into my daily workflow than I have ChatGPT. I use ChatGPT every day. Like couldn't agree more. Couldn't <laughs> agree more. Yeah. We we just um have recently released some some folks uh that were helping us mm -hmm. on the recruiting side that just refused to to use the tools, you know. Oh I, you know I got my I got my ways, you know, I've been doing it this other way for a long time and I don't need that tool. 
And I'm like, what, uh, what, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, no, <laughs> not a good culture bed, right? Not the right. <laughs> Uh, yes, I use ChatGPT all the time. And hey, you know what? Maybe in six months, there's another tool that blows up and is awesome. Okay, fine. I'll use that too. Well, whatever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, let's take all the technology and, and produce the best results we can, right? Like, exactly. Like yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Now, I do, you know, I'm not living in some fantasy world where I think it won't eliminate some jobs. I, it is eliminating jobs already, right? It's going to eliminate, it's going to eliminate industries. It's going to eliminate some jobs. But I think if you're, if you know, if you, if you're paying attention and you learn how to navigate around it to do other things or other skills or whatever, then you'll find different work if you need to. And, you know, that's going to suck, you know, graphic designers, for example, I, good luck. I, I don't know what you're going to do for a living now, but you know, you're going to have to do something different probably. And there's a million other examples like that. Um, but if you'll but if you'll stay positive and push forward and learn how to use it to your advantage, you'll probably be okay, you know. And the, the last thing on that on that I'll say is, and I always say this, I'm like, and by the way, if it gets so advanced that robots are doing everything, okay, cool. I'll take the universal pay and I'll just go camping all the time. <laughs> yeah. We'll have a different set of problems to be talking about then. So right. Well It'll, exactly. It'd be a totally yeah. <laughs> completely different world, right? So right. Like, exactly. A completely different world. Okay, great. I'm so glad that you're you're staying on top of that. That's good. Um, what do you do? Let's let's end it with this one. This would be a good topic. What do you do when uh, you and Anthony? Uh, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> such a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah. So okay, so over the years we've developed a a way of working together um, that works for us. We don't talk to each other face to face very often. We use we use a tool called Basecamp um, so that we are not interrupting each other when we're working. Right, so we're going to try to to work very efficiently, and that means when Anthony's working, he's working. When I'm working, I'm working, and we don't we're not going to interrupt each other's workflow. Right, okay. so that communication happens in Basecamp. We do a daily check in in the morning, so we we roughly know. But other than that, we're going to leave each other alone, and we're both going to. Um, you know, we've kind of siloed the responsibilities. So Anthony's in charge of development and design. I'm in charge of sales and marketing. Um, and honestly, sales wins most conversations <laughs> in small business. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> so, sorry. Um, yeah. That's good. That's good. Recently, we um, joined a married coupled mastermind. The one oh. thing I wish we would have done earlier is um, had gotten involved in masterminds, but we were kind of busy, like working jobs and trying to run a company at the same time. But mm -hmm. in the past couple of years, we found this married couple masterminds. And that's been a great resource because I do think there are um, challenges to running a company sure. with a spouse. And sure. so having that group of people who are have businesses at similar stages to our business and who are also doing it with their spouse has been um fantastic to uh yeah that, for is, us. that is a great tip for the listeners. Can you share what that organization is at all? Yeah so it's with through Rob Wallings um okay. let's see what do they call them microconf so okay. microconf has a mastermind matching service but it doesn't do for married masterminds okay. um so microconf's a, a group for bootstrap technology startups mostly saas businesses which we're not saas but that's 
like kind of the niche that microconf plays in mm -hmm. um but they have an amazing mastermind matching service. So you tell them, you know, where your company is and they match you with other other folks at ah, the same level. Okay. But the way this um, married couple mastermind came about is um, MicroConf also has in-person meetups and we all met at this meetup. And then I proposed, hey, let's do like a married couple since all of us were married. And so it's, there's four, uh, four businesses now that we meet once a month and uh, can that's talk. great. That's great. Yeah. In person, in person. Uh, this it's Zoom only because we lost like one of our one of our couples like left Austin. So. I see. I see. Okay. And do the do the women separate off from the men? And then the in, or, no. No, we do it like a um. Somebody's in the hot seat. So like I come and I present to the group like mm -hmm. this is the problem that I'm having, and then the group you know weighs in, and it's yeah, it's been phenomenal. I really is the, pro is the problem is the problem ever. Anthony's driving me nuts this week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, more like this month. <laughs> no, it's usually like, you know, a difference of like, okay, we have these development priorities and we have sales and marketing priorities and something's not going to get done. Right. And the nature yeah. of a small business is you have to yeah. pick. You cannot do it all. Um, and so having that outside opinion can, can, can be really. Absolutely. Awful. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really cool. Wow, great advice. G good tip for the listeners, really. Okay, awesome, Kristen. Uh, well, congratulations for being in business. Let's see, 10, how many years? 14? Yeah, since 2009. So it's been a while. But I don't I don't really count those early days. I don't <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, you know, the, yeah. I think the average, somebody can Google check me on this or chat GPT check me, but I think yeah. the average uh, small business, the average small business lasts three and a half years or something like that. I can't remember what the stat is. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, or something like 90% failure after, after three years or before three years, something. I can't remember what the exact stat is, but uh Bottom line is you've you've blown away the average by staying in business this long, and the fact that you're still married. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys are running it together. I mean, hey, you're beating the odds. So congratulations, you're beating yeah. the odds. And I would say that goes back to that marathon mindset, right? Like that's you know make those small incremental changes year over year, and. Mm. and keep reading, find that community, all those things are um, instrumental to being able to stick with it long-term and, and still be excited about it. Right. So like, yeah. I, I just now feel like we're getting started. Like finally my kids are in elementary school so I can work like I can do these things that I really want to do, you know, for my <laughs> business. So yeah, I'm still, I'm still excited to go to work on it. So that matters. Cubit, cubitplanning.com, cubitplanning.com uh, for anybody that's interested. Also, you can find Kristen Carney, on LinkedIn, if you want to connect with her, she is pretty indecently active on LinkedIn, right? You're on LinkedIn, right? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, yes. So they can, and I'm, I'm a first level connection with you, so they can connect with you there as well. Thank you very much, Kristen, for being on the show and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking. Uh -huh.